Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. L. Ravi Chandran, known to most as L. Ravi, is the president and COO of Tech Mahindra. In his career of over four decades, he has seen and been part of the growth of the IT industry in India. In this episode, Ravi talks of his experiences, views, and what customers expect from IT. Listen on. So, hi Ravi, uh, thanks for joining this podcast. You've been in the industry for a long time. For our listeners, you can introduce yourself. Okay, sure. Uh, hi, Shiv. Good afternoon. I think, uh, oh my God, it's been 40 years. <laughs> 41st year in the industry. Mm. I remember starting uh, in 1978, August end mm. in Delhi. At the time, the just one year after the National Informatics Center, NIC, was formed... Uh, by the Department of Electronics to computerize all the Indian government. And so kind of since then I've been in the industry and very kind of thankful to be part of uh, both uh, Tata's, HCL and, and then the Mahindra groups. So the three large groups have been part of their IT kind of services uh, of these companies. So it's been a great innings. I think the industry has been good. And, uh, and since 1991, uh, after about nine, 10 years of kind of doing a lot of work in the U.S. and being settled uh, kind of back in India and trying to set up the kind of global delivery centers for the companies I talked about. And so it has been, even that has been 26, 27 years. So it's been a great going. And uh, kind of really happy that we are having this podcast when, I'm, when I've just finished my 40 years in the industry. Yeah, wonderful, Ravi. I uh, didn't realize that milestone. So at that time, did you think that you know, software had a future or after statistics? Now, how did you get into software? Yeah, I think uh, we had uh, in the Indian Surgical Institute, Calcutta, uh, where I studied, uh, we have, a, it used to be a four-year undergrad honors and then a one-year kind of master's. And uh, in fact, uh, if you look at computer uh, kind of thinking and whole kind of statistical data analysis, and everything was started by Professor Malnabes, uh, who founded the Indian Statistical Institute. And so the first batch of specialization of computer science uh, have kind of was started in my institute in 1977, when I was just kind of getting into my master's and trying to look at what specialization I should take, what major I should do. And at that time, the new major computer science got added. And so I was always uh, 
kind of thinking that all the statistical algorithms and huge amount of calculations and how it would be nice if you could write programs to do it. And then uh, I got this opportunity. And then I said, why don't I take uh, in a computer science as the major? And at that time, obviously, I knew that the computers are going to be the future because right from basically World War II, kind of things have been moving. And we also know that the mainframe era was very big in the Western part of the world, even though India hasn't picked up that much. And so I, I had an inkling that it's going to be the age of computers and then got this opportunity. So I said, instead of doing a kind of advanced courses in statistics, as one of the majors, I should pick up computer science. And in fact, that almost everyone uh, who majored in computer science actually got campus selected to join National Informatics Center. So oh. I think that, that also become a great uh, positive motivator for my juniors. And he said, uh, if you take up this major, everyone gets a job. And a gazetted officer job in, uh, like in government of India. So, I, and of course, I didn't know I'm going to be, all of us are going to be 100% placed just in one company. But, but I think that that statistics and actualizing all the statistical theories and modeling and all the kind of correlations, regressions, and really trying to find the insights in data. And I knew that without computers, it is not going to be kind of possible. And, uh, but it just happened that my kind of university also came up with a major. And I was the first one to go and sign up. And then there were another 10, 12 people joined. And all of us landed up in Delhi working for the government. So. Mm, that's very interesting. So what uh, probably was a trickle at that time and you've been with the flow. And in fact, you also influenced a lot of flow. In one sense, a lot of things that have happened with uh, either Tata's or HCL or Mahindra's, you played a very yeah. significant role. So one, I have actually two, three questions triggered by what you said. The first one is... Um, now, starting with statistics, and after probably working in more of enterprise COBOL type of applications, how does it feel to get back to all the big data, AI, ML, and things that are being talked about today? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Uh, uh, basically, I tell my folks uh, in Tech Mahindra where I work that everything is a circle and everything has come back to where I started, uh, whether it is uh, from the mainframe era to uh, we got into client server and a thick client and back to thin client and back to cloud where the mainframe is the cloud, where can all uh, we had was similar to mainframe. So I say it's taken a complete turn. And I think uh, kind of feel extremely happy that that whole the field of statistics, which has been my kind of a major subject and where I spent kind of more than four years. And that is being really recognized as kind of key enabler for enterprises to make their decisions. And in fact, kind of one of my classmates 
uh, who's a professor in statistics, he basically even mentioned that maybe the word statistics would be changed and it, uh, it would be called data sciences. And so really happy to see that uh, basically it's all coming back. And uh, I just wish it came back 20 years earlier, <laughs> uh, yeah. but it's better late than never. And it is, uh, and so, and so I think the, obviously the power of computing, the expenses, because 10, 15 years back to run a large statistical model, you need millions of dollars worth of computing. And today you can buy it for tens of dollars in cloud. And so obviously a lot of other things have happened, which has enabled this whole statistic data sciences and the big data to become reality. But it's a great feeling that uh, I've been part of this, uh, both the computer science industry under the statistical kind of a faculty there. And so the combination is what is really changing and uh, kind of giving the next much, much deeper level of insights to enterprises. And so it has been a great feeling, yeah. Yeah, the other point you mentioned, which is also something that triggered another thought, which is about uh, you know, the cost of computing. I yeah. remember that when we started coding, we had to write code on paper, then get it punched. And then the time taken to make any corrections was long. So you had to spend a lot of time on the desk reviewing your algorithm or getting somebody to review and all that. Now with computing power being so abundantly available, people write code and then, yeah, let's see if it works. And if not, we'll come back and fix it. So from an individual contributor, when you're now leading a very large organization, do you see any changes in terms of the styles programs are being developed? Yeah, I think uh, I have to be very careful because being uh, so many years in the industry and, and, and anything I talk about, the way we used to do, maybe kind of viewed as a old man saying things about that that generational gap but 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 i think however basically two things one is getting back to your first point i actually tell uh, while discussing with all my customers okay, who are also of the similar vintage and how did this happen how did this whole, whole big data artificial intelligence and proliferation happen in the last few years so i used to say that like we say in our astrology the, all the stars are aligned. So sometimes the astrologer will say to the client, all the stars are aligned and you will, you will have a great kind of next few years. So I think the computing power, which is reduced so much, and then the whole kind of thing of cloud, and then kind of you don't need proprietary kind of data centers or proprietary networks to connect and get the computing power. So the computing power in hand. And then of course the mobile phones and the mobile communications where the information uh, can be personalized. So, so various kind of technology, if you look at IoT, the price of sensors falling below $10. And it's because we all used to SCADA and numerical control systems and control systems in factories, but what used to cost millions of dollars and you can monitor a machine in $10. So everything together 
came in. Otherwise, the algorithms and various other things are almost same as what I, I studied in my statistical class 40 years back. And so it is not that the new algorithms are coming. Yes, they are coming, but fundamentally they have not changed. Just the computing power, accessibility, cloud, and the communication way to kind of reach the individual has changed. So in terms of new way of working, I think that it has given uh, huge uh, kind of facilities because there needs to be, because of the way we were constrained of, say, writing code and uh, kind of punching it on a card and the cost of a single compilation error was so high that we used to debug the code on paper to the extent many of our colleagues can read the punch hole in the card like, like the ASCII characters. So, but kind of right now, what I feel is uh, 20 compile, 30 compiles a day when we used to do barely one a day. Obviously, there are positives and there are negatives because when we were sitting and debugging on paper, then the code quality, the code styling, the quality of code, everything used to be become, become very visible. And then he said, no, it's not looking good. Let me improve the quality, improve the structure of the code. And I think that maybe in this age of hundreds of compiles per day, that you again need tools to enforce code quality and code standards and code structures, etc. Uh, so I think uh, we are in fact some of the kind of projects where I have seen where the team leaders are coming and saying that can you can you not just fire compiles every every minute and just look and look at the code and do a code review. When you do code review, just go to a quieter place and do a code review. So I think even in the new age, people are coming with some of the things we used to do, which is just look at the code and then contemplate and then read your kind of almost like the creation. You are writing code which is going to do something. And it's almost like an artist or a sculptor. And then looking at this painting or the sculpture and say, okay, and what are the flaws and how do we fix it? And not say I'm done and I'm going to give it to the, the compiler to find mistake. And of course, and so it's a combination. I think that obviously it used to take much longer time. And uh, if, you, if you make a mistake, you have to wait till the next day to change the cards and recompile again. But you, you can kind of do it faster now. Uh, but there are obviously good things in both. And I think what I've seen is successful organizations apply both. And then say the quite time for you to clean up your code on your own. And then so that you don't have any major structure errors and code quality errors. And then, of course, kind of use compilation on the fly, kind of which is available now as a kind of productivity enabler rather than wait like what we used to do. So the combination of both. Yeah, that's interesting to have you know quiet time to clean up code. So, do you have any uh, interesting stories from either you know, your own code or your team code or somebody else's code that you spent a lot of time debugging, and in hindsight, uh, it looked 
well what you call as a trivial oversight yeah yeah i think a lot of horror stories on basically not spending the time and then looking at the code i think that we have seen uh, almost 100% of what we call the code red projects which get escalated to the coo level uh, in the last i don't know 15 20 years that i have seen that one of the major problems uh, has been basically in a hurried way the code has been written and it is almost like the project managers are chasing an imaginary deadline to say code completion because code completion is one milestone in the project and not realizing that the code completion uh, has to be at the acceptable level of quality and then the kind of a test defect fixing and then passing it through uat needs to happen in a whatever is the time frame which is set in the project so it is like very imaginary that i need to get the code completed and uh, what i have seen is many many of it 50 60% of the code written over a period of 9 to 15 months have to be nicely put refactored but almost rewritten because the code it was written just there was no way that one could even fix a defect because if you fix a defect even the best of the best coming in saying i have no idea where else i would have kind of created a defect because the code is uh, so badly structured and code quality is so poor and so i think that so that i just keep telling them what is the meaning of having a champagne to say code completion when uh, that your code completion is not really the milestone all you are looking at it is is the code complete with all the necessary quality checks and uh, and then after refactoring is done basically one could see that uh, that even the junior most campus freshers are able to add functionality remove functionality fix defects so we have seen that and again again a lot of resistance when uh, when we were introducing the code uh, checking kind of tools in the build like there are code structure checking tools code quality tool and people used to say it 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 is delaying the project and so i will not agree and uh, i want uh, compilation to be done build to be done even when the code quality checker is failing the code with even 30% marks so usually you have a 90% kind of a cut off and lot of exceptions and uh, i i keep tell them that there is a direct correlation that you may be able to finish the code and move on to the sit or whatever is the next phase but you will never reach uat you will never complete uat and so we have even went back to the customer and say don't get fooled by code completion we don't want to get fooled you should not get fooled let the team take another x number of days and let us implement the tool and let the tool check the code quality code structure etc and those projects have always turned out to be that after the code completion the sit uat everything has gone much much 
faster. And of course, need not tell you about the problems in kind of post kind of production support. And so I, th I think there is a huge amount of uh, kind of data and real life horror stories I've gone through uh, to say that either you go back to the old way like I used to do, take that quite time and uh, maybe use some reused uh, recycled paper so you don't feel bad about environment and take those five, six pages of your key components, key algorithm, look at the code quietly and then look at the structure and then imagine if, if you are to delete a functionality, how will you do? If you want to add some, some change has to come, how would a third party programmer, another programmer will come and change and just imagine everything in your head. You do that or there are tools available and make sure that uh, they, they become part of your coding life so that nothing goes into build unless the code quality tools uh, pass your code. I think there is absolutely no, no alternative. You could do either, uh, but, but of course, with, with all the automation, if automation is available, then why not use automation? Especially if your project budget allows for the tool. And so uh, it is very, very clear, a lot of scars and a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends and a lot of customer escalations. And I think lesson is more or less the same. Yeah. So one question here, probably slightly in, in a tangent. I know that you are um, a serious follower of uh, the World War II. Now, yeah. if you were to look at uh, what happens in a war-like situation, the strategies and all that, are there some new ways of addressing all these bugs that a team or even an individual can take to come up with a strategy to conquer the bugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think in the war, in the, most of the generals will say that uh, you have to plan every large battle you're going to fight, knowing fully well that nothing is going to happen by plan. Okay. So you talk about Eisenhower and you talk about uh, even uh, anybody from the Russian side or the German side. So that everyone says the same thing that in war, you have to plan. You have to plan everything meticulously, but I think nothing is going to work as per plan. Mm -hmm. But I think what they really meant was that the structure of the battle, the objective of the battle, and what are the key strategic points to capture, whether it's bridges or, or river crossings, what are going to be the tough kind of criteria and how we are going to do, those things are not going to change because the river is not going to go away. So if you look at, for example, that, say, the user acceptance, you are changing the customer experience, the front-end screen, and there is no point in coming in the end saying that, no, no, we had all the software ready, but the users did not accept. Or security clearances, if you are rolling out a software all across the globe, which is a new product, and using a lot of open-source tools, because the CISO of the customer has to sign off. And so the fundamental blocks of when, when you reach the river, and how do you build a temporary bridge or uh, how we are going to secure the bridges first, 
before the kind of army enters the town so the bridge is secure for you to cross and i think so many resemblances with our project plans so what are the things which for example a lot of things we have come across hot houses we are talking about the business users being part of the team and we are talking about show and tells so we are talking about customer demos early on and the devops where we basically say there is no uat first and then operational readiness test so operational readiness test is as important as uat so how do we get operations people involved the call center people involved so many of these things are very very uh, closely resembling a battle planning so that finally you have to cross the final river before you say enter berlin in second world war is going to be the kind of river of operational acceptance and call center training so how are we going to roll this software out for 10000 20000 call center agents and get them trained and there is no point in not thinking about the river crossing and then say i am going to conquer berlin and so what are the major obstacles and what are the major stakeholders who's uh, kind of who needs to be part of the plan and uh, how are we going to do at the top level and at the same thing about the code kind of what are the core components of the code and uh, who is going to be so how do we make the kind of core algorithms very very robust and how are you going to pre test how are you going to create a infrastructure so i remember we used to talk about the fundamental infrastructure required for a transformation project so all the middleware the database connectors and various algorithms even i remember you and i writing date conversion or whether the date is valid or not those kind of common libraries we used to write in cobol so how are we going to kind of those are all basically equivalent to getting the basic supply chain and uh, so that the soldiers uh, can actually have that wherever they can't go they can actually stay and then go to the next step and so a lot of knowledge don't get me because i am a big fan of world war 2 and i can look at uh, hundreds of things from the war side to our kind of war which we fight every day the software the delivery especially the program management transformation project so i think a lot of commonalities yeah usually i think when you look at a completely different domain you get ideas for breakthrough i think this is also very interesting so what is your take on uh, the agile practices because you mentioned early demos involving the customers a few other things that are commonly adopted by many teams including the you know, devops teams so what is your take on uh, agile practices no no basically absolutely i think that uh, fundamentally i think that uh, this is the only way to go because when we started you remember ibm there used to be statistics in early 90s when we started global kind of delivery in india in a big way and i think all these guys gartner will come and say 95% of the transformation projects have failed <laughs> are some very 
big number and all the government projects. Five years later, the project is scanned and all kind of scary stories. And to the extent, I think one of the customers I met about a month before, and uh, he uh, basically took over a new position as a global CIO. And then he said, my first recommendation to the CEO was, any project which has got more than one year business benefit realization, I want to cancel. So even though my budget is going to be reduced, he said, I don't want, I strongly recommend that we don't do all these projects. So even one year is too high, but I'm willing to accept up to one year. And anything beyond that, I want to cancel. And so I think uh, the kind of faster go-to-market is going to be the only way to survive. And uh, there is just absolutely no time for enterprises to do large projects where we can do things in a sequential manner so that we can can do... uh, Basically, people have to react. Today, if a new product is coming out of Reliant Geo, immediately Vodafone and Atel has to react and they cannot wait for... So they have to drop a lot of products they had, they thought which was relevant. And they need to bring in new products and services. And so the need for enterprises to be very fast to their market. And if we as the IT service provider, if we are not able to support, then uh, we are not doing our kind of job as this provider. And whoever is willing to adopt the customer will go to them. So... Uh, absolutely required, but at the same time, can I tell my teams that don't take it like a tick mark theoretical exercise and start doing the practices. I think uh, doing fully automated release, build automation, release automation, test automation, I think is a no-brainer everyone must do and uh, looking at smaller scrums, and I, I actually tell them that, again, the scrums is not for you to come and keep pushing. No, no, I am just pushing from scrum one to scrum two to scrum three. So I'm saying that look at it in such a way that any backlogs, if you want to finish the project, then not more than one scrum. So otherwise, there is a tendency uh, to basically say that don't think of it as, say, waterfall, but... Uh, uh, smaller uh, kind of uh, yeah, iterations. Unit. And then I say that the stand-up meetings are all are very good. Everyone is at least seeing guys face-to-face. And it is not so much the stand-up meeting. I feel that there is the 15-20 minutes of personal touch at the end of the meeting where somebody walk across to somebody else's desk and say, okay, you're working on this this piece, which is required for me, and what can you do? So I am, uh, so how long is it going to take you? So shall I come back? So I'm going to take some time off. I'll come back to work at 10 p.m. By the time your code will be ready. So a lot of these personal interactions, because again is that the biggest problem is the team leaders and the project, they want to do this one-on-one scheduling. So that I tell them that when you get into agile mode, that you should let the individuals talk to other individuals and fix their schedules. If 
finally everyone is looking at the objective so if i found the post stand up meetings are more useful than the stand up meeting so the stand up meeting tells everyone what is going on so it is not a secret that some uh, module is running behind some module is ready and uh, when somebody is going on vacation or a customer has asked for a new change which is affecting sprint number 3 whatever it is so everyone knows and why the customer has asked for the change why it is needed so they so i think a lot of openness uh, but i think that lot more work to be done to get let the project leads and scrum leads and all that to say uh, i need not be the only orchestrator i am going to enable and uh, most of the orchestration the team members can do by themselves and uh, uh, how do i make sure that uh, if there is a final testing and scrum passing team and how do i go and talk to them and say what do you test and then why are you failing my code what can i do to improve so these are the things individually they have to talk and i think that concept it is great and uh, but again is that i will not go 100% theory and then say use can what do you think is the best and then i tell the guys and you tell me if you are not using something please come and tell me why it is not good for you then we have seen most of the team start using everything so so the, the request for all the senior people who are head of business units and delivery units don't come and say this is great and thrust it on people's throat you tell them that this seem to be a good concept it jives with the new customer philosophy new customer requirements of very very quick releases and uh, what don't you pick what you think are the good stuff and uh, whatever you don't pick let's have a brainstorm and then say maybe we can improve on that or we can modify that because the devops agile could be customized for our project and then you will get the same kind of benefit so there a lot of kind of psychological change management the leaders have to do but kind of overall i believe that that is the way to go and i think many of the companies in the services industry have actually moved into that in uh, at various levels and uh, i think everyone has heard about this everyone has been trained and most projects are practicing some form or other yeah good um see one uh, last question is uh, one thing that i'm hearing from many of uh, both customers as well as teams that i've been working with is that uh, with all this uncertainty and like the example you mentioned about uh, one telecom operator coming up with something others have to quickly react there is a focus on outcomes rather than output so at uh, your level when you interact with customers now how mm-hmm. do you commit on outcomes or what kind of expectations do you see coming from your customers yeah particularly extremely good question i think uh, uh, like the term i use saying operation successful patient died uh, we don't want to be in that situation so a uh, lot of customers because the cio function is getting redefined as the business enabler and the cio's uh, bonuses and variable pays are now attached to a lot of business outcomes and which is capturing market customer attrition reduction and so many new products launched per year 
so which are all used to be the product management teams and the marketing team and the sales teams and uh, now many of those uh, kind of kpis are coming into cio and if it comes to cio that they they are uh, obviously more than happy to pass it on to the vendors like us who are indian uh, software industries i think that we have to obviously that we don't control every aspect of the market or the quality of the product uh, which the customer is going to do but so that but minimum the customers are going to expect is that you're going to put part of your profit whether it is some percentage of the project revenue you're going to say you're going to put it which is going to tie up to the business outcome and uh, so finally you are part of my cio team and we sink uh, we swim or sink together so if my my company is not doing well then then you can't be making all the profit and my company is not doing well so we start looking at what are the parameters we can uh, there was one customer who basically said right first time looks very simple but basically says when i tell the customer that your package will arrive today it will arrive today so that is the definition of right first time so everybody starting from their ceo president to various senior vice presidents presidents of the company to the it service provider everyone had x percent of their pay which is tied to this so everyone is looking at what is the end to end life cycle and what needs to be fixed by it systems what needs to be fixed by by the non it or operational processes but the right first time and what is the percentage how many customers where we said we have we are going to come to your house to install the broadband and the engineer doesn't show up or engineer comes and the, and the set up equipment is not there so because various systems are not collaborating and so this was a very good kind of kpi business kpi which the it services companies have to do so uh, that is when we bought in our business process consultants and we even looked at the process and recommended to the customer that even if i fix it and get all the systems talking there is no way that with your current process it's going to work so we improve scheduling of the engineers the field workers going uh, we improved the shipment of routers and so really solving end to end business problem and of course that you might have heard of companies becoming more domain oriented more consulting oriented in the design space so we are also getting ready and so this one example where we have been able to influence the business outcome and and then able not to kind of get into losses and then actually get that payment uh but but i think that more and more challenges will be there for the industry where people are going to say that uh, how at least nps kind of customer score so various so you need to increase my customer score and that means that all the customer interactions whether web or mobile or chatbot or artificial intelligence or google home 
and if, when they reach a, a store, when they have a problem, and almost every experience of the customer should be enhanced, and so that my customer satisfaction goes up. So various kind of things will come, and I think we are all getting ready. And various customers have already asked asked the companies to do part of the business by business income, but slowly the percentage will move up. And I think that is the kind of big challenge and a great opportunity uh, because then I think the Indian companies need not worry about only Accenture or big MNCs can do this kind of business consulting and Indian companies cannot do the regular statements you hear. They will all vanish. Now, once we start getting accepting the business KPIs. And, and so I think exciting times for the industry. That's all I can say. Yeah, I think that's a great example you shared about collaborative partnership. So, and it's also very heartening to hear that uh, after four decades, you still see a lot more things to be done by IT in terms of impacting the society. Yeah, it's been great you know, talking to you, Ravi. I'm sure uh, we We'll have a lot more topics. We haven't explored some of your other interests, maybe some other time. And uh, thanks a lot for sparing the time. Thank you. Thank you, Shri. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. If you like the show, and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. There is podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.